Interviewing as a technique of gaining information is as old as humankind. Talking to people as a form of scientific inquiry about their experiences is fun, but also a methodological, moral and theoretical challenge. In the past decades, oral history has become a widely used research method in different disciplines. Given that oral history is a technique and a way of constructing histories, this series of podcasts tries to offer an overview of different ways of how to construct the information and how to analyze it in a wider methodological context. This podcast is designed for those who want to use interviewing as a method of collecting empirical material. It consists of eight sections. The first one is discussing oral history developments, basically the historiography. The second one is analyzing the politics of oral history, who are those who are using interviewing for political reasons. The third one is connecting the social and personal level. The fourth one is discussing ethical and legal dimensions. The fifth one is about practicalities, what to do, how to do, what not to do. The next one is discussing questions and questioning. The seventh one is discussing narrativity, as oral history is using narratives and to understand stories. And the last one, the eighth one, is about interpretation, how to analyze oral history, what are the limits and the possibilities. Every podcast is around 20 minutes each. Thanks for listening, and I hope you will find this podcast series useful. Just for a change, I'm not starting with a, a quote because uh, when you are do, when you are discussing doing practicalities, uh, uh, the practicalities of doing oral history interviews, you are on your own. So you can only read the stories and uh, experiences of the others, but uh, going out to the field and talking to people, this is like a very difficult and uh, uh, interesting uh, exercise. This is like doing sex, that you know that the others are also doing it, but you don't know how they are actually doing it. And if you are watching it, you know, that's also different. So in a sense, the practicalities of doing oral history is something which is uh, very, very difficult and really depends on the context. And you are alone with the interviewee, right? So then it really tests your abilities, your uh, psychology, and also your concerns. So let's see a list how the, uh, uh, what are the practicalities you have to actually take into consideration. First of all, who will be interviewed and why? Right? So, and the why is the question. Why do you want to do interviews? What will you know what you haven't been able to know from other sources? Because very often, you know, students are saying, I want to do interviews. But the question is, why do you want to do those interviews? And if you can match your research question with a list of people who are actually able and ready to talk to you. And uh, uh, this is also a, a concern, finding and, uh, and uh, uh, selecting those interviewees who are ready to talk to you and who are contributing to your, to your research um, uh, uh, agenda. 
how many will be interviewed and how many times will each person be interviewed. That is the next decision you have to make. And my personal experience is that uh, the more often you are meeting with the interviewee before the actual interview situation, they trust you more. So in a sense, when you are uh, you know, sending an email to a person that I would like to interview you, uh, then you very possibly you will not get an answer because you know that you are receiving these strange emails and you know you have got a student from a dubious university sending you an email. Who the heck is that? So therefore, the phone is still the best you know way to set up a, 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 the first meeting. And then the, during the first meeting, you might want to describe generally your research. Uh, the research field and your research interests. You should not go specifically to questions, but describing what is your agenda. And then maybe at the second meeting, uh, you might start you know, asking for an interview opportunity. Uh, you sh this is again tricky, so that's why I started this uh, uh, lecture with this um, pretty controversial statement that you know, it really, it, the distance between you and the interviewee is always tricky. So you should not go too close and you should not be too far. Because if you are too close, that also uh, might cause some problems because you are entering into a life of somebody because of an academic research. On the other hand, if you are too far, you will not get any meaningful responses. So this distance uh, is, a, is rather a relational distance and it really depends on the relationship between the interviewee and the interviewer. Uh, how many persons should be interviewed for a project? So, if you are doing an MA paper, you you are you know you are you can do one interview and then analyze that particular interview in depth. But you can also do like 15, 20, 25 interviews for a PhD thesis. You should be doing like 50. Uh, plus interviews. Uh, but there is no rule. It really depends on your research question and on your project, how many interviews you are expected to do for a paper. When and for how long will each respondent be interviewed? Uh, that's why we are doing for this class this um, kind of pilot interview that you would recognize that doing a one-hour interview itself is extremely exhausting because you have to extremely pay attention and even think about the interviewee who is also, you know, contributing to this uh, uh, to this whole process. So maximum an hour, an hour and a half. Uh, of course, there are these long, long interviews if you are doing narrative interviews, but uh, uh, also think about the transcription process uh, when you are transcribing the interviews. And for one minute, you have to count at least five minutes when you are transcribing that one minute interview. So I would suggest to be focused and not really going for long, long interviews, especially if you are interviewing elderly. Uh, then you have to really take into consideration the time span they are ready and able to, to concentrate. Where will each respondent be interviewed? Uh, it is really a crucial question because the ambiance influences the, uh, the situation. So definitely it should be quiet, it should be undisturbed, 
very possibly it should be an environment there are no, you know, any kind of intrusions. So uh, the traffic uh, is not heard. Uh, the dog is, you know, not in the room. Uh, the uh, cell phones are switched off. Uh, and also the children and the other relatives are out from the picture, right? So then you really have to have this one-to-one uh, uh, -one undisturbed situation. Let me give you a story from my uh, uh, experience when I was interviewing uh, 56 migrants, uh, those who left Hungary after, after 56. And uh, I got a list of the 56 migrants living in Rome uh, because the Hungarian uh, Cultural Institute is always you know, keeping close contact with those uh, 56 migrants. So I got a list, uh, and I was only interested in women, the 50, uh, women migrants, because the 56 story is such a male story. So I started to call that list, and uh, uh, men picked up the phone usually, and I was explaining who I am, and you know, uh, I want to talk to, to your wife, and the question was, why? And then I said, because I'm doing this interview, so you also have you have to have this so-called elevator talk, this kind of two-minute uh, prepared when you are talk, uh, picking up the phone, uh, when you are calling the interviewee. And I, I told them that uh, you know I'm interested in uh, 56 migrants, and then the answer is, I'm also a 56 migrant, but I'm only interested in women. Okay, my wife is not at home, bum, and uh, put off the uh, phone. And this happened several times, and I was basically totally unprepared for this response and this rejection by the kind of having this gatekeeper, the husbands, to talk to the wives. And then I had to talk several times each person till the uh, woman picked up the phone, and it turned out that we had to do these conspiratory meetings in the uh, Hungarian Cultural Institute you know, because they can't, she cannot have the interview in her home. So, and this is not something you might be, you know, when you are doing a list of what kind of difficulties I will be facing when I'm doing the interview. This is not one of them, right? That the 56 male migrants will not let their wives being interviewed. And, but this is in itself a finding because it somehow explains and shows how difficult is this um, uh, to uh, overcome this particular patriarchal um, uh, structure. So where, uh, where will this interview happen? It's not a neutral thing. And especially when you are interviewing uh, important politicians or decision makers, they like to lure you in in their office. And of course, you are, you know, these offices are very impressive, and then you are sitting in this very possibly extremely uncomfortable leather couch, and you are just sucked into the couch, and then you have probably they are sitting behind their desk looking at you. So it's really not comfortable. So make, if you are getting into a situation to interview powerful you know, political figures or um, uh, pe uh, people who are known, make sure that the sitting arrangement is basically you know, giving you a chance. Right? And don't be afraid saying that, can we switch seats? I mean, I feel much better sitting here. Uh, how will access to interview situation be, uh, be organized? And uh, uh, the key point here is that you should have a person who helps you to get into that community, right? And ask for suggestions and advice. This is called snowballing. And always ask for at least two suggestions because one of these lines might die out and then you are, can follow the, the, the second one. So 
the list of practicalities, how to get access to the setting. You need, you are either a part of the community, which already poses a problem, and uh, we have discussed uh, that, and we will be talking about this later on, or you are you are interested in getting into a community. So you need a person who actually lets you in, who is actually saying, okay, you can interview me, and I have got a friend who is also, you know, an acquaintance who is also ready to talk to you. So how to access to this, uh, um, uh, to the informants, that's, um, uh, that's when you, you, your kind of investigative journalistic skills are needed and also your network. Uh, you have to understand the language and the culture of the respondent. And that might sound pretty easy. On the other hand, it's very complicated because the language might come with a very different luggage and uh, you might, as an outsider, you have got this position that you know what you want to hear, and you don't necessarily hear what actually has been said to you. So um, the language is um, also important because you, uh, you are asking these questions based on a certain secondary readings list of uh, 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 authors they might not be familiar with. So therefore, understanding the language and the culture of the respondent requires serious self-reflection. Uh, the example I can bring to you is when I was interviewing conservative female politicians and my questions were informed by the Anglo-Saxon feminist literature and they did not understand the questions. So therefore, the way to do it is doing pilot interviews and also to do a kind of mock interview with your friends and test the questions. That's what we will be doing in the next class. Uh, deciding how to present yourself. Uh, you should have a kind of pitch talk or elevator talk for two, uh, two minutes ready when you are actually describing who you are, where are you from, what is your project, what, uh, what is your purpose with the project, and what will be the outcome of the project. Right? Because you have to tell this you know, self-introduction several times, so you have to be ready with that. Um, don't say things which are not true, right? So you might blur certain things, but never say anything which is actually not true. So uh, because you will be caught and that's really not ethical. Uh, so when you are presenting yourself uh, and you are writing an MA thesis, you know, that's a very noble academic achievement. So you have to be proud of your project, so don't really lie about what you are doing. Uh, so when you are presenting yourself, you should be, your purpose is to get the trust, to get the trust, and it is extremely difficult when you are interviewing uh, somebody who is coming from a very different political position. So uh, the kind of... Um, uh, the trust needs to be gained based on this human encounter and also with the belief that it really makes sense for both of you doing this project. Uh, so you have to actually figure out what is the agenda of the interviewee uh, to talk to you. And that helps to, um, to find the to gain the trust, to establish the rapport, and then you can collect the empirical material. So when you are gaining the trust, that's uh, 
that's a very fragile thing, and it doesn't end when you are switching off the recorder, because that has an afterlife. The afterlife means not only writing your analysis in a kind of uh, ethical way, but also maybe continuing to communicate with the uh, interviewee, sending your final paper or your ME thesis to the uh, interviewee, uh, because they might be interested in your work. And your work is will be uh, posted online, so definitely they will have an access to what you are actually doing. So. Uh, therefore, it's a nice gesture if you are offering that you are sending uh, the link to the uh, thesis when it is ready. Uh, so when you are solving, all, when you have solved all these questions, and then you got to this particular situation, then you are sitting one to one with the interview, and you are totally scared and and uh, excited what will happen. Uh, how can you? Uh, diminish your scare and excitement. Let me give you some tips, right, which can actually help you to uh, um, solve this. But I, I have been interviewing for nearly 30 years, and I have to tell you that every interview is a real excitement and a kind of hormone boost. Um, still, which is a good thing. So first of all, uh, with preparation. If you are preparing and you know that you are prepared for the interview, then this excitement level can be decreased, right? So uh, first of all, um, uh, make sure that you have got the interview schedule, which means that you are actually planning this one hour you hopefully have. So when you are doing the preparation for the uh, interview, make sure that you have got a certain slot from the person's schedule. So when you are setting the appointment, make sure that you actually set the end date or end time of the interview as well, that you would not you know, end up having 15 minutes or 20 minutes from somebody's time, but make sure that you actually have uh, you know, like a fort, at minimum 40, 50 minutes of um, the person's time. So make a plan how you are actually planning to ask these questions and i can tell you for sure that this will not happen but when you are end but you should have a plan when you are um, going for the um, uh, for this interview uh, when you are starting the interview in the first sentence you can mess up the whole thing and i'm not mentioning this that you make you even more scared than you are but just to emphasize that the first 30 seconds of the interview is actually crucial. So uh, how you are introducing yourself, what is the first question? That actually frames the whole encounter. So therefore, you have to be ready and prepared and, and uh, probably even uh, doing a kind of um, uh, mock interview before that, that what kind of questions this, what kind of responses these questions might uh, prompt. Uh, you have to have good communication and listening skills. You have to be able to show that you are a listener. It means that you can say, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm, interesting, how exciting, hmm. But never you know, interrupt with a question when you are uh, actually giving this uh, kind of uh, uh, response. Uh, 
when you are uh, when you are managing the interview, you have uh, this list of questions which you have to have be prepared before the interview, and uh, you have to uh, be very careful about the sequences of the questions and the types of the questions. That's why our next class will be about these questions and questioning because that is actually crucial if you are choosing a chronological questioning or you are using topical questioning, right? And um, when you are closing the interview, uh, you should be finishing with saying, do you have any questions to me, right? Because the interviewee actually gave you at least 40, 50 minutes uh, of uh, his or her time. So, you know, there should be a possibility that uh, uh, he or she should also ask questions to you. And also when you are closing the interview, you should be, you know, informing the interviewee what will be the follow-up, what will be the afterlife of this interview. So where this will be uh, uh, kept, when this will be analyzed, where this will be published. So in a sense, you, ha you are responsible after you switched off the recorder. And never forget the documentation in relation to the interview, the consent form to sign, to have the consent form signed, and also to, uh, how to do the transcript, right? So when you are doing the recording of the interview, um, you have to take notes. But when you are taking notes, at the same time, you have to have the eye contact. You have got the record. You, ha you have to check your notes. You have to have your eye contact, and also you have to make notes. So this is a very complex process. So that's why I told you that for after 40, 50 minutes, you will be exhausted like hell, right? So don't you know, misuse your own resources uh, as well. So please focus on this very complex process. You arrive with your notes consisting of the questions. You are making notes uh, what has been said, and you are also making notes about possible follow-up questions. So therefore, I suggest to have uh, uh, this uh, A4 size sheet uh, when you are making notes and divide it into two columns. In one, you are making notes of the interview, and then in the other one, you are marking the follow-up questions and also anything which you know, comes into your mind during the interview. Most obviously, the second column will be the most valuable for your whole research. And let me stress that when you start this whole project, open a file or a blog or a uh, exercise book or a notebook for this whole project and make a note of every move you made. Because the, you, that helps you to reflect on the whole interviewing process. So enter that. This person told me very rude on the phone because in two weeks you will not remember you know, this uh, discussion. And uh, you might want to record uh, uh, even the, the, for yourself when you have these preliminary phone conversations. So keep field notes. Field note as a genre of doing oral history because that actually backs up your, um, um, uh, your research. Uh, the tape recorder or the recording, um, I have seen so many oral historians go gray 
because of uh, the tape recorder did not work. So, or the recording system did not work. So if you ask me and you have got really very limited time to do these interviews, have two recorders at the same time, plus make notes because you have invested so much energy to set up this interview uh, situation. So in a sense, you cannot really afford this going wrong. And you have got the phones, you have got the, uh, all these different equipments which you can actually use. As far as video recording is concerned, uh, you can now use these iPhones and whatever phones to, uh, to do this uh, uh, video recording, but this is um, uh, very different because uh, then you have got obviously an intrusion into somebody's kind of visual space. So for oral history, uh, and that actually changed the, the kind of digital revolution, changed how oral history had been done, because now we have got these video interviews, the talking head as a kind of uh, genre. And this gives us lots of uh, additional information, and, um, um, but it requires kind of skills after uh, to, to analyze it. So when you are doing the transcript, because that's what you are analyzing, basically, what has been said. Uh, there are, uh, you are a sound archivist. It means that everything which had been said or even indicated, like, <laughs> or, I mean, this should also be recorded in your transcript. So when you are reading the transcript after the, uh, after the interview, you should hear the person speaking, right? So you are basically archiving the sound. And uh, that is something which uh, is extremely time consuming. And there are kind of um, uh, signs. And if you are Googling, but I also upload it to, the, to our Moodle uh, uh, transcribing rules, uh, that how you are using the three dots, how you are actually using the uh, parentheses. So, I mean, there are several. I don't care which one you are using for the, for the coursework, but you have to be uh, consequent in using that. As far as the quotation is concerned, uh, these interviews are the, owned by the interviewee. Therefore, when you are quoting it, you have to be very specific, you know, with quotation marks and also with footnotes saying that this is from the interview uh, with X, Y, and in the uh, 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 introductory session, you have to say that if you were anonymizing uh, the interviewees or not, uh, made by you and giving the date and the place. And at the end of the thesis, you are actually giving a list of all interviews you have done. So the rules of quoting is, are very, very strict because these are the sentences of the, of the uh, uh, interviewees. And uh, the copyright issues uh, should be handled by the consent form, and you should not do an interview without a consent form, which is actually regulating you know, who can use the interview, uh, with what conditions, and where the original sound file and the transcripts are being held. Right? So the, the copyright issues are actually uh, very important, and to your MA thesis, you should actually attach uh, to that, that particular uh, question. And then we will start from here, uh, next uh, 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 session, when we are looking at the questions and uh, uh, different uh, issues related to questions and questioning. Mm -hmm.